Welcome to You Belong. I'm your host, author D. Michelle, encouraging you to remove that label, that title, that position, or even that social media status and focus on your kingdom status by knowing you belong to God first. And when God is first, that's when you can fit in even when you don't because you know you belong. Welcome to today's episode of You Belong. This is actually part two in a special series we're doing all month long on racially awakening the workplace. And we're not racially awakening to divide, but actually to unite with one mission that we would all view each other as one. So today I brought a special guest and I, I would be remiss if I say just special. He's actually unique. He challenged my You Belong thought process where I say forget that title forget that label because today he even said forget the name he is happens to be a thought leader in HR and he's going to share his experience and his journey in that field in the workplace to awaken us so welcome to the show we'll just call him Gerard so welcome to the show Gerard thank you thanks for having me tell us a little bit about yourself so people can get to know you a little bit just Whatever you're comfortable sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so G- Gerard, <laughs> uh, work in the HR field. I've been doing HR st- work for the last uh, 10 years or so, a little bit more than that, 12 years or so. Uh, graduated from Ohio State uh, back in 2009, started working for uh, an oil and gas company and did that for almost nine and a half, ten years. And then I moved into technology last year, last January or so. So I feel like I have a good experience of seeing oil and gas and technology, two vastly different fields, especially how they approach diversity and inclusion um, and just kind of culture in general. So that's that's a little bit about me. Great. I'd love to hear as we talk into what what were some of the, just jumping into it, what were some of the differences you saw in the technology in space versus oil and gas and how they approach diversity and inclusion? One that's probably the most obvious to me is the this concept of bringing your true self to work and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And as I think about, uh, at least from my experience in the, in the technology space, from the very beginning, uh, it, it was important for you to be authentic. Um, even the interviewing process, they said, listen, you can wear a suit if you would like, but you don't have to. You have no reason to, um, to impress us. Come however you feel comfortable. Like just even from that process, this, this whole idea of being authentic, bringing your true self to work. And within the first couple of weeks of me being there, I'm the type of person where I ask a ton of questions and I'm really inquisitive. And I was always nervous about asking questions, especially when I first started. And my manager kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, you're asking a ton of really good questions. Absolutely keep it up. We like you challenging. We like you bringing forward that, um, that, <clears throat> that idea of wanting to, to learn more. Um, whereas I felt like in the oil and gas space, it was a little bit more restrictive. You were, you were allowed to ask questions. It just couldn't have been in the meetings. It had to be before or after. It had to be um, to the right level of the organization. You couldn't question well above above you so just that whole idea of being authentic and bringing your true self to work i feel like is, is very different from a dni and cultural standpoint is is one of the things that i've, I've seen and then the other thing is it's this from at least from my experience once again it's 
the lip service versus the actual commitment to it. I feel like in mm. the technology space, it feels a little bit more committed. You know, the senior leadership across the, the across the the units that I work with are very committed to DNI. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, in my experience, once again, from an oil and gas standpoint, it was it was a commitment. Some of sometimes it felt a little bit more like lip service versus actual. We're going to do this, and this is how we will measure success. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit of how I feel like it, it's played out in my in my limited experience so far. Okay, um, and as you were talking, I just kept thinking of a subtitle of the show we talk about belonging, how to fit even when you don't. So I could imagine between oil and gas versus technology where you might feel like you fit a little bit better um, might be in the technology. Am I right there? Yeah, that's a that's a fair assumption. Yeah. Okay, so let's walk back into the oil and gas space. How did you find your fit even when you didn't in the oil and gas? Um, tell me about what that belong story looked like for you when you were in that space. Yeah, so the best way for me to, to feel like I belonged was just a commitment to the high standards. I, I feel like I'm a very driven person. Uh, someone that likes to uh, maybe impress, but I don't know if that's the right word, but let's just say impress for the sake of argument. And so I held myself to a very high standard. So every time I felt like I didn't belong, I wasn't part of it, I just showed up more, I worked harder, I worked longer, um, I put in more time, all of those types of things. And that's that's kind of how I dealt with it. Um, Truth be told, I don't know if it paid off. It still felt like a little bit of an outsider, mm-hmm. um, but it. But that's how I I, I kind of focus my effort to to uh, <clears throat> to create that sense of belonging. And then the other thing that I did was just having close personal relationships. A lot of it outside of work, where you can kind of be your true self outside of work, and you you kind of suck it up for the you know ten hours or twelve hours that you're at work but you're much more of yourself in the nights and weekends. So that was the other thing. So it's challenging when you feel like you're not part of something Mm -hmm. bigger. And, um, but you know, (laughs) just bluntly speaking, I have to pay my bills and I have to make some money. So you kind of deal with it sometimes. Whereas now I feel much more comfortable. Good, good. And what I heard you say in that was there are two critical pieces to it. Um, One is staying connected and having like a community around you, even if it wasn't at work, and to, to really help you through that season, as well as you talked about performance and the higher standard. And I've heard that a lot with um, minorities and different things, and, and not just minorities, but when people feel like they don't belong, then they strive, then they have more of a performance-based trying to strive. And so in the DNI space, how do you strive to have a healthy culture that, as you stated earlier, is um, very action-oriented. It's not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Um, what is your company? You don't have to tell the statement or anything, um, but what does your company do to make sure they're showing that they have a statement? Do you have an action plan related to it? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. So I feel so. We have a, a we do have a statement. Um, in this day and age, I think statements are the 
I don't even say the bare minimum anymore. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't have a statement, that's a that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. But we have a statement. But what one of the things that the company has done, which I find fascinating, is it it basically has become everyone's um, kind of objective. So everyone has a state set, set of stated goals that they have to complete throughout the year. And one of them across every single person has to have something related to diversity and inclusion. Wow. And I found that fascinating when I came into the company. Mm. And because it, it puts the onus back on obviously our senior leadership, but the entirety of the organization to create a more inclusive environment uh, for, for everyone. So really going, kind of going back to this, the whole premise of this podcast of belonging if we're all mm -hmm. inclusive and we all feel like we belong, then it creates a better working environment for, for everyone. So that that's one of the things that we've, um, <clears throat> that my company has done that really resonates with me. Wow. That's great. If over the past month or so, we've seen a lot of tensions rise as it raises to race relations in the world. How did your company respond or what are they doing to address that? Was it really big? I, I saw some companies like a big cereal company. I'll say, I'm not saying the company name. They had a whole black square on LinkedIn and on the white letter saying, you know, we stand with and just announcing all that. What, what approach did your company take? So we, we've, we've had, I think we did something in social media. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like some of those other companies have done, uh, which is which is great. Uh, but uh, some of the things that we've done internally have probably resonated with me more. Shortly thereafter, a couple of these incidents, we were all of our full HR team was pulled together uh, to talk about what happened, and for anyone that had something to share to talk through, how do they feel about it, and and where is their headspace and the like, and. We did that as an HR team, and then we did that with a number of our other business units where business leaders got together and and with their with their employees to talk through how do we uh, how do we feel, how do we think about the situation, what are we going to do as an entire organization to to uh, to learn, but also to to take action to to try to address some of these uh, kind of racial. Um, <clears throat> racial injustices, not not just in society, but in in the workplace as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that the dialogue has been extremely um, powerful, and people have been. It, it's really resonated with people. the 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 last thing I would mention is that tomorrow, June nineteenth, is a day of learning within our company. So mm -hmm. we were asked to to not do to not host any internal meetings and and the like and if you need to take some time off to kind of replenish yourself you, you're more than welcome to do that but also uh, use it as a day of learning so a number of news articles and and recordings and mm. um, books and the like were sent out to to the broader organization to say take a step back like we have the monotony of our day-to-day -day lives and we're all kind of racing to to close out you know, throughout this time and everyone's working a ton, take a step back and learn. Learn about the racial racial injustices. Learn about the, the experience of Black Americans. Learn about whatever it is that you want to learn about in this space, uh, which I found extremely powerful once again. So that, that was a big statement, I think, for a company to make. It's not just a day off, which I've seen other companies do, which is great, 
But if you force action to, to get people to learn and then think through, well, how can I impact this? To mm-hmm. me, that resonated a little bit more. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's actually something that came up in part one of this podcast where we were talking about it's not just educating people, but people taking the initiative to educate themselves. And so your company creating a space for that to happen is to be celebrated. And on Juneteenth, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. So yeah. I, I, I hate that it took something so tragic to make these powerful conversations and outcomes happen. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what other things can we do to close the racial disparity gap in the workplace? Um, we've talked in part one about how there's a promotion lag time for minorities that's a little bit longer than what you see with counterparts. There's salary differences and different things like that. What are some other gaps that you've seen or approaches you've seen to attempt to close those gaps? So I'll I'll reference two. Um, The first one is it all starts, it all starts when you start working for a company, all right? And every company in some shape or form has some sort of performance evaluation, right? Mm -hmm. And what I have seen in, in my experiences in different places is it, if you don't start off kind of uh, if you don't start off strong with your first performance evaluation, that actually impacts you for, for a pretty significant amount of time with the company. So, and what I've also seen is that you'll have two folks coming into the organization, both at the same level, both with the same educational experiences, schools, GPAs, everything that might be the same. And for whatever reason, the minority student or person coming in is always a step behind their non-minority counterparts. And if you don't start off with that first kind of evaluation being a solid one, the gap just continues to grow from there. So Mm -hmm. to me, you have to do something at the beginning with these folks coming in to make sure that you're you're properly evaluating them and whatever, whether it's... um, you know, implicit bias or whatever it is that you have at the forefront for what students might, what what first year perf- uh, employees may may do. I think you just need to be very mindful of how you're assessing them because when that gap starts there, I think it's hard to recover. That's just my my personal opinion. The second thing that you need to do is set folks up for success, right? I think it's it's corporate America call it whatever you want, is all about mentors and sponsors. You can be as great as you want to, but if you don't have the mentors, if you don't have the sponsorship, I just, I I do not know how you can succeed in corporate Mm -hmm. America. And my personal experience as a, as a black man in in HR is that you don't really have a lot of black men in HR. So I never felt like there's anyone committed to sponsoring me because not because I'm black, but if I'm good, someone who recognizes and say, you know what, I see myself in them. And that's how, that's how sponsorship works, right? It's, Mm -hmm. they have some connection to that person that they decide to sponsor or that they decide to sponsor. So I think it's important for these larger companies to really think through sponsorship for their diversity candidates in order to help them progress throughout the promotions and the, and the, and the salary and everything else that you mentioned at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it starts with sponsorship. So I think having some some more explicit um, language or conversations around sponsorship for your strong performing diversity candidates is important. 
And I'm not saying all diversity candidates, right? I'm, I'm saying your strong performing ones. Um, because it, it, if, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there, but I hope that, yeah. that, that those two examples make sense. Yeah, I love that. And then especially the sponsorship piece. And just for, I, I try to target this to younger people starting out in corporate America to really educate them and help them, especially young believers, to know how to balance their faith at work. And for me, it was a little different when I started my career out in Chicago working for some of the top ad agencies. Um, probably within the first month, uh, the executive chairman kind of spied me out of the board for this huge global corporation. And I was tapped to be one of the faces from my department. Whenever the company sponsored anything around the city, I was at ballrooms like gala affairs at 23, 24, just phenomenal events. But I kept thinking he was using me to be the token. And I had mm. to change the narrative and understand this man saw something about me that he wanted to invest and make me be um, cognizant of the role I could play in the company. Instead of seeing it that way, I saw it as I was being used to be their token because the company would donate a whole bunch of money, but they wouldn't come. They would give me yeah. the table and I could fill it up with people I wanted. And so could have been a little of that, but I didn't really see that opportunity that you have sponsorship at a very, very high level for you to be just two days wet behind the ears coming out of college. And, so, and the key, the, the key with that is to take advantage of the opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you get that opportunity, and I think this is what you're saying, when you get that opportunity, if you don't rise and shine, mm -hmm. I think it's your fault. You can't blame the system. You can't mm -hmm. blame anything else. Like it is on you. Mm -hmm. And I think what people need, it just one of my fundamental principles as a as a human being is I feel like it's my job in any position that I have to give someone an opportunity. And if you rise to that occasion, good for you. Go off and do great things. But if you don't rise, that's on you. But I mm -hmm. think people just need opportunities. And if you give folks opportunities through sponsorship, sky's the limit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I look back on the time. He taught me so much about even how to give back in the city. And now I have my own nonprofit. But he was having me do those things like at a young age that if I had taking more of an interest in learning the behind the scenes, they would have taught me that and I would be all the more um, in a better place now as a nonprofit leader than um, just saying, oh, I volunteered here and I took the perks and all of that. So, and it's hard for the younger generation to kind of go back and share, like, do you understand what opportunity? But the phrase I keep thinking about is from the book of Bible talks about Esther and for such a time as this, that especially mm. minorities in um, the different workplaces. Yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be tough but, tough, but recognize that you've been put in that position at that spot for such a time as this. Mm. And so yeah. to really use this time, because it could be literally the life of someone else you're saving. It may not be uh, life and death, but it could be their corporate life um, in that yeah. sponsorship, in that mentoring, and taking the time to educate someone else and and really, like you said, even rising to the occasion. You don't know what other doors can open from you doing that. Um, you touched on a little bit being uh, blackmail in HR. It's kind of rare. I, I had in my notes, like, is that like a unicorn thing? And um, how do you navigate that space as a black man in HR? And I know your experience is a little bit unique as you weren't raised in the state. So share with us more about that. So it's been, it's been a learning 
And when I graduated from from college, I, I thought maybe naively it's you show up, you do your your job, and good things will happen. Um, and it turns out it doesn't. I didn't know much about sponsorship. I didn't know much about mentoring, any of those types of things. And no one ever opened my eyes to it. So there's a part of it that's shame on them, but there's also part of it of shame on me. Maybe I should have educated myself a little bit better. So um, <clears throat> kind of navigating the world now, it's I've, I've started to realize how important having mentors are and people that speak up for you when you're not in the room. That's, that's incredibly important. And as a, as a, as a black male in HR, it might take, you know, four knocks on the door to find someone to mentor you because you don't have a ton of folks that you automatically have that connection with through whatever, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, so it might take four knocks as opposed to some folks where it may take just one or two because it's like, hey, you, you're kind of like me. I'm kind of like you. Do you mind mentoring me? I don't have the luxury of doing that. So it, it does take a little bit longer to find mentors and sponsors. But I feel like as I get older, I start to understand a little bit more and start to think through like, okay, here's this piece of, of this person that resonates with me. So I feel like that connects me to them through this. So let me make sure that I kind of highlight that. And, and so kind of where I see myself in the future is finding, taking advantage of the opportunities for taking advantage, uh, positioning myself to be that mentor, that sponsor for folks coming into the organization or just wanting to um, wanting to learn and develop and grow. I, I feel like that's that's going to be critical for me um, <clears throat> as I as I think through the um, this navigating being an African-American and African-American man in HR. That to me is kind of where the past and where I see myself going in the future. Awesome. So if you had a three words or encouragement words for a young black man who was considering uh, going into the HR field, what would be your three inspirations or cautions to him? You belong. That's a tough one. Let me think about this for a second. My three words of inspiration for a black young black man coming into HR. I, I like where you're going, though. You belong. Just knowing there's that you're a, needed. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's a little bit of a play on words, obviously. But, I mean, that, there's an opportunity there for you. And you take advantage of that opportunity. And you you get comfortable within your own skin and find a company where you can be comfortable within your own skin and, and shine. I think they kind of the sky's the limit for people that work hard, for people that want to achieve, for people that have the capacity and have the capacity to do it. I think the sky's the limit and having the different voices. I think these companies are starting to finally realize having different voices at the table is, is important. So I, I think, yeah, it, it's kind of, you belong. There's a, there's a, there's a seat for you. If you, if you work hard for it. Is there anything else you would like to say on DNI or just um, belonging in general that you've seen in the workplace? Would you like to the last thing I would add is I, I think we have to, we kind of owe it to ourselves as black people in this country to make sure that we're taking care of and looking out for folks that look like us, not because they look like us, but if no one else does, I don't know how we ever become stronger as a, as a 
community as a as a community. So I remember just real quickly a story. I remember meeting an African American leader in a company in the HR function, and there are very few of us like we've talked about. And the person just kind of said, "Oh, hi, cool, nice to meet you," and then moved on. And it it stuck with me. It's like you know. I feel like you should at least try to get to know me, understand who I am, see if I'm capable and competent. And if I'm not capable and competent, fine, it's time for you to move on. Like, I'm not going to waste my time with this person. But just not not feeling that connection to that person, I feel like it kind of resonated with me and hit me hit me pretty tough. So I feel like as if you're a leader in this in the in the if you have a leadership role in a company, it's important for you to make sure that you make folks feel welcomed. And and it's I think it's incumbent upon you to to try to find and develop the folk the the younger generation in order to get them to achieve as much as they possibly can really meet their full potential. So that's my only last kind of tidbit of advice or 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 reckoning that I've that I've kind of realized too as I've kind of gone through this this uh, this journey. Yeah, that that's good because I, I call it the arrival attitude that some minorities, when they do get in a certain leadership role, it's I've arrived. Yeah. And everybody, I fought to get here and you better fight too. Yeah. And, and so it's almost the reverse narrative of I'm not going to help because no one helped me or I had to fight to get here. You're going to have to fight. And I'm just like, I'm making you stronger, but I appreciate, um, there was a leader for one of my, at one of my clients one time I had given a presentation. I was the only um, African-American woman on my team at the time presenting for a um, Fortune 100 cereal company. And they were holding my promotion. They told me it was my confidence level. They could see my confidence wasn't as high when I was in the client presenting versus in the boardroom of my own company. So I really worked on that, shored it up. And that day uh, I gave the presentation. I was so confident. I turned to my boss and I said, now give me my promotion. And he did. And so <laughs> it was just awesome. I was like 27, 28, my first promotion. And um, I remember there was one um, black leader at the client at the company that day. And she called me on the phone and whispered, go girl. And it was like, wow. <laughs> it was just yeah. like she saw me in the role and she's like, I'm not supposed to do this, but I just want to tell you, go girl. Sometimes there's even this unwritten rule of I can't be close to them or I don't want to look like I'm showing favoritism. And so yeah. it was just that simple call that night, just go girl. <laughs> and so <laughs> just however you can do um, to encourage someone else. I, I definitely yeah. agree. That's needed. We need to, uh, we need to show that encouragement and recognize one another and say, I see you, you belong. So thank you again, Gerard. Thanks, you too. That's all we have time for on today's episode of You Belong. As always, I'm your host, author D. Michelle, inviting you to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at author D. Michelle, and that's Michelle with two L's. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at Know You Belong. And that's K-N-O-W-Y-O-U-B-E-L-O-N-G. And remember, you belong.